We deal with a lot of um, families in Chattanooga that are, are basically have been dealing with generational poverty. So like we do have folks who are our age, we have folks who are even younger who don't know how to use the internet and people are like, how could that possibly be? You know, they've been in schools, they've, you know, they've grown up with this stuff. And the reality is, is schools haven't always had until even recently, they're starting to get yep. more and more access in the classroom. But then when they go home, you get one or two hours in a computer lab a week. Like that's, you're not digitally literate. You get a little bit of a taste, but that is a lot to ask um, in that short amount of time. So what you're dealing with is, is generations of folks who have had, you know, real legitimate struggles with poverty, who haven't been able to help lift themselves and their families out of that. And so you then get folks who are older, folks who are retired, folks who are currently in the workforce, folks who have children, and you have those whole spectrum. And it's just like, it's a complete struggle. Over the past few years, Chattanooga has been recognized worldwide as the city with the fastest internet. And we have reinvented ourselves as the gig city. But we all know that not everyone is able to take advantage of this new reality. TechGo's Home Chattanooga is one organization seeking to address this digital divide in our community. Kelly McCarthy is the program director, and in today's episode, she shares the way this digital literacy initiative is transforming the lives and opportunities of people in Chattanooga and throughout Hamilton County. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I am your host, Matt Busby. All right, well, Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Kelly and I have been trying to work out this interview for, uh, it's been a while now. It's been a little bit. (laughs) It's been a little bit, yeah. And I think, like, Christmas happened, and then New Year's happened, and then families happened yeah for both of us. yeah I have a one and almost one and a half year old and I blame him for everything he's lovely but I blame him well today on the podcast we're gonna be talking about Tech Goes Home which is a um, a new organization within the city you guys have been operating for what a year uh two, two years two years actually okay. yeah great well uh, and if, if people remember back on the episode we did with Ken Hayes and Ann Coulter about the Innovation District, we actually talked a little bit about um, Tech Goes Home in the past. And uh, But I've always wanted to have this specific interview to get some more details on this. And so before we... Well, go, go ahead and give us a brief definition of what Tech Goes Home is, and then we can talk about the story of how this kind of came to be in Chattanooga. Yeah, yeah. So so Tech Goes Home Chattanooga, we are um, the digital inclusion, or one of the digital inclusion programs for the Enterprise Center. Um, we're basically, uh, we serve all of Hamilton County, and uh, you know our goal is to increase digital equity across the county. Um, we kind of have this three-pronged approach. Most people know us for sort of the digital literacy training, which is kind of the core heart of our program. It's 15 hours of basic sort of digital literacy training um, using kind of online resources, things like Gmail and Google Docs and how to sign into like PowerSchool if you have kids in Hamilton County or in the school system. And so we, we partner with organizations across the county, so schools, churches, uh, nonprofits, YFD centers, libraries, you name it. We've probably partnered with them before. Um, and we, we offer these courses in the community um, all over Hamilton County. So it's a pretty large area for us to cover. Yeah. Um, we have about, we're pushing almost 100 partners okay. at this point. So yeah. to give you a sense of the, the kind of scale. So 15 hours of digital literacy training. Um, and then when our participants finish the course, they're eligible to purchase a Chromebook, a new computer for $50. Wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> so obviously we subsidize the remaining cost of the Chromebook and our early childhood program actually uses tablets as well. So that's a little bit different. But um, so we get, you know, digital literacy training so folks know how to use a computer, know how to use the online resources, know how to find things that they didn't get to cover in class. Um, and then they get a new computer, which makes it a lot easier to be able to access those things at yeah. home. They're not having to go to the library or the school. And so then the third part is helping them get access to low cost Internet. So we don't pay for internet, but what we do is we help them, um, you know, kind of identify what they need and find a solution that works for them. And most folks don't know that they can get internet for as little as ten dollars. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's something they don't talk about. They kind of keep that hidden. Yeah, it's not. I mean, you know, it's it's not well publicized, let's say. But there are five different um, vendors around Hamilton County that offer programs like this, and they range from you know ten dollars to um, twenty six ninety nine. Okay. So. Well, so I have a feeling, you know, most of my listeners are similar to me in that I'm 32. Um, I come from a you know middle class family where I had a computer since I mean I, I had my own laptop when I was 16 years old, right? Mm-hmm. I remember teaching my teachers in middle school how to use the internet. You know, when we had our first, when we got our first computer lab in our school, yeah. Um, and I could navigate the web better than my teachers could, and and so. Uh, you know, I, what I would like for you to do, you know, coming, you know, knowing that that's probably a pretty common experience for most people who are listening to this, paint a picture of why what you're doing is needed in Chattanooga. Okay. Um, so, so Chattanooga, we're pretty similar in terms of our statistics of folks who don't have access to the internet. And it's, you know, the, the common kind of um, stat that everyone points to is one in five adults doesn't have access to the internet. And that's kind of nationwide on average. And we kind of mesh up with that. Like However, what, what kind of reaction do you get when you tell people that? Like, <laughs> it just feels so shocking. Yeah, I mean, I think people don't, if, if that's not your experience, I think it's, it's hard to comprehend if you haven't, you know, if you've never been sort of um, in, in, a, in a situation where you've witnessed that firsthand or you have friends who are in that situation, I think people just generally don't. It's hard to to imagine something when you don't have any experience with it whatsoever. You know, so I think that, you know, people, I think that we say that and then they assume, well, it's just old people, right? Because they just don't, they're the only ones who don't know how to use the internet. Because they don't want to, right? Like that's a, yeah. (laughs) Right, yeah. And I mean, and I've literally gotten that that reaction before. And I was like, no, you would actually, you know, this this is a problem um, that affects all ages. It affects all backgrounds it does it it primarily however affects certain socioeconomic bands folks who are considered low income so you know it's you know it's 80 it varies for us but it's over 80 percent 85 percent of our um, participants are considered low income and to give you an idea of what low income really is that's you know a family that makes thirty thousand dollars or less per year that is a lot of families, you know, and so they're disproportionately folks who are, are in that kind of lower income band are affected. Um, unfortunately, you know, our, our African-American, um, Latino communities are disproportionately affected. Um, it is true that that folks that are, you know, over 65 are also um, on the wrong end of this sort of the quote unquote digital divide. You know, folks who have disabilities who prevent them, you know, for, for learning skills or potentially um you know, being full-time, full-time employees, and then folks who also in that sort of the workforce kind of um, realm, those who are sort of unemployed or underemployed are also, again, and, and you kind of like, oh, if you start to think about it, it's like, clearly if I don't, if I'm having a hard time making, um, you know, enough income to kind of 
feed my family, let's say. And this is, I mean, this again, this is another issue where if you don't have experience with it, you're, you can't really imagine it. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. And, and when we're talking about low income too, and you mentioned the $30,000 number, you know, according to the, the poverty puzzle that Times Free Press put out last year, you know, that's, that's almost 30% of our entire downtown mm-hmm. population or a little yeah. over 30%. Yeah. And, and even, you know, according to their statistics, it's almost 12% of our downtown population makes less than $10,000 a year. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when I say 30%, a lot of our participants actually make less than that. <laughs> um, so, you know, and it, it very much is a, a situation in a lot of cases where, you know, families that we meet, it is a decision between, you know, do I pay for internet access or do I, you know, buy food this week? And so, you know, that's, so I think to get back to your original question about sort of, so what does this kind of look like for for us? So if you can imagine a situation where your funds are very, very limited, very limited, and you have to make a decision between do I buy groceries or do I buy internet? It's not really like that's a no brainer kind of decision. I'm gonna either feed my kids or I'm gonna pay for my internet access. And that does, that seems like an extreme example. However, it's really easy for a family to get into that situation yeah. before. Um, some of us have been in that situation before. Some of us haven't been there for a very long time. Some of us have never been there. But things happen. Emergencies happen. People lose jobs. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that even if you're doing relatively well, but you're still sort of, you kind of are living paycheck to paycheck, that things happen. Well, and it gets in that digital literacy piece, too. I mean, it's one thing to have access to the Internet. It's a totally different thing to understand how to use it and why why it could be a benefit to you. Right. Yeah. So that's assuming that you know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then there's, you know, we we deal with a lot of um, families in Chattanooga that are, are basically have been dealing with generational poverty. So like we do have folks who are our age. We have folks who are even younger who don't know how to use the Internet. And people are like, how could that possibly be? You know, they've been in schools. They've, you know, they've grown up with this stuff. And the reality is, is schools haven't always had until even recently. They're starting to get more and more access in the classroom. But then when they go home, you get one or two hours in a computer lab a week. Like that's you're not digitally literate. You get a little bit of a taste, but that is a lot to ask. Um, in that short amount of time. So what you're dealing with is, is generations of folks who have had, you know, real legitimate struggles with poverty who cannot, um, haven't been able to help lift themselves and their families out of that. And so you then get folks who are older, folks who are retired, folks who are currently in the workforce, folks who have children, and you have those whole spectrum. And it's just like, it's a complete struggle. And yeah. so, you know, one of the things that I like to tell people, because a lot of people who don't have kids sort of in Hamilton County schools, um, don't realize that, you know, they send report cards home up until third grade now. After that point, you don't get a report card, a paper card anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah, no idea <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, I mean, Hamilton County uses the Power School system, which is, you know, it's a great system. So you can log in, you can see up-to-date info from teachers, you can see grades, you can see attendance records. However, if you can't do that, what do you do? It's a great, it's a, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just like everything else on the internet. It's a great tool if you have access and you know how to use it. Yeah, and I mean, so to kind of give you a sense of this, so we had a participant at one of our community courses um, with Metropolitan Ministries, and she was a grandmother who was raising her grandson. And that's a very common you know, situation for, for the folks that we work with, um, grandparents raising grandkids. Yeah. Um, and she had not ever logged into power school. Her grandson is in middle school. Mm. Um, and so she's like, you know, I'm really worried about him. He says he's doing great, but, you know, I just don't know. And so one of the things that we did is we're like, get your login, 
come back next class we're going to get you in there and this is one of the things where like we weren't necessarily teaching power school in this particular course our trainer wasn't teaching it because it was all sort of older folks and it was more focused on sort of workforce and kind of helping um, with housing issues and, and things like that but we needed her to, to get into power yeah. school and to look and so when she did log in sure enough things were not good her grandson was about to fail out just fail the grade entirely um and she had all kinds of notes and things in there and she had no idea i mean he had missed a ton of school and so for her i mean i i don't know for sure i'm hoping she was able to turn that around at that point but i mean that's legitimately so that's not only affecting her life that's affecting her grandson's future and so it's that kind of thing where we take for granted you know, the things that we can access. And it's becoming not only just sort of a luxury, it's becoming a requirement. You know, in a lot of cities, like the city of Chattanooga has moved over to some things where you can do things online, um, which is a great convenience. But a lot of cities have actually made it, that's the only way you can do things anymore. You know, we will eventually get there. But once that happens, you know, we've got a whole portion of our population, which, you know, depending on the estimate you look at, say between 20 to 35% of our population, it's not going to be able to do that. Like they can't log in to pay a tax bill. It's, it used to be, you know, maybe 10 years ago that the internet was a luxury and knowing how to use it was a luxury, but it's really not anymore. Yeah. Well, let's take a a step back at this point because the tech goes home is born out of the enterprise center. How did this come about? You know, talk me through the conversation that started. When did it start uh, to where, how did this idea, why was it born there? So yeah, so when you look at the Enterprise Center's missions, um, it does seem like kind of a a strange combination. Um, You know, we have a a focus on uh, digital inclusion. We also have a focus on the innovation district creating and and growing that. And then there's a focus on um, next generation application development using the gig. So you look at those and are like, okay, they kind of all fit together, but they're very, very, you know, different goals. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that digital equity and inclusion is a branch feels, you know, fairly... I'm fairly surprising, to be honest, yeah. that that would, that would be something that's a foundational mm-hmm. goal and, and very exciting yeah. of, the, of the Enterprise Center. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I kind of look at it as, you know, we're kind of, you know, the Enterprise Center, the new, you know, under when Mayor Burke took office, it was sort of reorganized. And, and when Ken Hayes came on to lead it, um, you know, it was pretty much turned upside down from what it had been, you know, kind of previously tasked with doing. And the great thing about that is I kind of see the the digital inclusion as being like, this is an innovative program like and this is what the enterprise center is focusing on doing generally our, i think our goal is is just promoting innovation in chattanooga and so this is i'm i'm very proud to be a part of this particular thing so so the history of how we got started here so in 2013 i think was when the enterprise center was reorganized so there was a, a group of folks and i came on very late um ken hayes asked me to join this task force of chattanoogans you may have heard of the moving chattanooga forward something 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 i never remember the full name <laughs> of it <laughs> i just call it the moving chattanooga forward task force so there was a group of people who had been working on this um prior to mayor burke taking office and then when he first came into office this sort of strategic plan for Chattanooga and kind of identifying the needs of what we needed to do to move us forward. I came on very late in the process where they had kind of already gotten the draft plan together and I, you know, read through it. I'm like, this is amazing. You guys did a great job. You know, thank you for for including me. And I saw that there was this part that essentially was about digital equity. And it was just saying, you know, we know that we have a problem. We know that the digital divide is real and we know that we need to do something about it. 
when this sort of strategic plan got approved, I immediately, you know, and, and adopted by the city, I immediately kind of told Ken, I expressed interest. I'm like, when we sort of, because the idea was to break our larger group into subcommittees, essentially. I kind of expressed interest in being involved in the digital inclusion one. And so we kind of, we formed what we, we still, it still exists. It's called, we loosely call it the Digital Equity Committee. Um, it's sort of this ad hoc group of folks that are representative of kind of different agencies around town. Um, you know, Carrie Randolph is on it, and Lori Quillen from Benwood, and we've had a, a member of, um, you know, the library staff historically, Nate Hill, up until, you know, he left, and, and Ken, and then Dana Bailey when she was at EPB, and, you know, myself, and, and some, some other folks in town that have kind of gone, you know, in and out of it, but so we, we all got together, and we're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> let's sit down, and let's figure out what we can do, like, what can we just do? to start addressing this, you know, because it's, there's a lot of things where you can get really bogged down in the details and you can get bogged down and like, oh, well, you know, is this going to do enough or how do we, you know, do this? And we really just sat down and we're like, okay, we need to look at programs across the country because we didn't want to reinvent the wheel <laughs> and, and just see what can we start? Just what can we start? So we, um, we spent about a year kind of looking at things and meeting on a very regular basis and kind of just sort of assessing, like, what do we have going on in Chattanooga? What are our needs? You know, how bad is the problem? Where do we need to focus? And, you know, what we kind of found was we kind of need to focus a lot of places. Um, And we need something that we can kind of get up and running quickly. And so when we got to the point where we kind of happened upon the Tech Goes Home program, who that was originally founded by Deb Sosha, she happened to be coming to Chattanooga. Okay. Um, as part of her, you know, her role of uh, sort of the head of the Next Century Cities organization, which was new at the time. She had just left Tech Goes Home pretty recently. Um, it might have been within a year. Um, and so that was uh, 2014 when this committee was working. And so sort of by the middle, towards the end of, of 2014, we had Deb. Um, she was coming to visit to plan, um, I think, one of the, the gigabit access hearings that's not Hmm. the actual name but but so she was coming or like could you come and could we pull together a group of folks from the community and could you talk to us about tech goes home because we were really like we're excited about this program we think the model is brilliant and she was absolutely i can do that and deb she's um if you ever meet her (laughs) she she was a you know a, a middle school teacher in some of the worst schools in Boston. And she's this tiny, maybe five, two, I don't know. She's a very <laughs> tiny woman, but she's so, she's like, I want to be Deb Sosha. She's like the most dynamic woman. If she can convince you of anything, if she really believes in it, you know, and she loves Tech Goes Home. So she's like, I will pull out my old deck about Tech Goes Home. I will tell you all about it. And so she pretty much sold everyone who wasn't already on board you know, in that room, and we had a big presentation group at the library, folks all over the community, not just, you know, folks on our committee and in in government, but like community partners, because we really wanted them to hear about this program. And so she was just like, we all walked out of there, we're like, yes, this is absolutely, we want to try this. So let's, let's figure it out. You know, we quickly realized when we started talking about doing a pilot that we needed someone to head that pilot up, at which point I kind of... (laughs) I said, this is going to be really awkward, but I would really like to be considered for this job because, you know, for me, it was a really exciting time and a really exciting idea to kind of be starting a program from scratch in this yeah. this world that I, I kind of, so my, my background up until that point was I'd been running a web, you know, design firm with my husband. You know, most of our, our clients were larger, not in Chattanooga. Um, you know, our focus is on accessibility and sort of building the web so that everyone can use right. it. 
So for me, that's always how I've worked in technology. It's been about, you know, really opening up access. Yeah. Um, it's been about inclusion. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I have this, this background of doing that for 10 years. And then, you know, prior to that, I, I worked as a teacher and a, and a tutor for kids. Things just kind of came yeah, together. Yeah. And perfect. so I just, you know, my passion is sort of always, you know, I've been involved in politics and I've been involved in community activism. And so... I just saw this as like, this is this beautiful little tiny like sector section of the Venn diagram where all these things come together. You know, I need to at least try. So I was pretty much, I recused myself from kind of looking for our program director, program manager. And, you know, I got the job. I probably got the job because I had a leg up on everyone else because I kind of knew the history at that point. But, you know, it was it was really amazing. So I was officially hired, you know, by the Enterprise Center to work on this program um, in October of 2014. And we launched our pilot and uh, our first class started in February of 2015. Okay. That was a, a whirlwind few months of kind of like getting this whole thing up and running. And we did... Um, our first pilot was at six locations, and we had seventy-two participants. And it, it, it was a it was a great, really successful yeah. first thing. It was yeah. a crazy time, but I, I, you know, basically we owe our program, Techos Home Chattanooga, to the original Techos Home because, you know, we contacted them and they, you know, were so kind and you know let me come up there and I spent a week in Boston and basically shadowed them and went to trainer trainings and went to some classes just to sort of see things firsthand and then sat down with them with this like ridiculous list of questions. I'm going to be honest, by the end of the day, I think they were pretty exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I was trying to think of everything, you know, like my, my background is in sort of like project management and business development and strategic planning. And so I was like, I'm going to get down to some really nitty gritty with you guys here. Please don't get angry with me. But um, <laughs> but the result was we were able to get something up and running yeah. pretty at lightning pretty speed. Quickly. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully, the, the Benwood Foundation stepped up to fund that initial pilot as well as um, the, the city and the county both put in a little bit of funding. So we were able to kind of do this. And then out of that pilot of six locations, say, Look, we think this will work for Chattanooga. You know, we've we've had to tweak a few things, but this model, you know, works. We can do it. People are interested. There's a real need, um, and so from there, we were able to secure, you know, a lot more funding. We've yeah. we've been able to get continued funding from both the city and the county, which is amazing. And I have to point out. Um, you know, to put that into context, it seems like, okay, this is a no-brainer for the city and the county. It would seem like every city would support this. Right. However, <laughs> Boston, you know, they've been around since, um, well, the last 17 years, basically. And it, you know, the first 10 years that they were in existence, they didn't get support from the city. You know, and so that was one thing that, that Deb actually mentioned to me when I sat down with her, you know, over coffee. Just like, if you can get the city on board, it'll make your life a lot easier. Right. And I was yeah. like, well, the city has to be yeah. on board. You know, this is for its citizens. You know, and both Mayor Burke and Mayor Coppinger have been, you know, amazing. Just sort of not only in supporting, but like really cheerleaders for yeah. this program. Because they, I think they truly believe in it. And they've gone and they've seen it in action. And they've talked to the participants. So I feel like we didn't just get the city support. We got, you know. Above and beyond. Above and beyond, yeah. for sure. So what I really love about Tech Goes Home is, I mean, it's listed on your website. You guys have this three-pronged attack in this regard. You focus on education, hardware, and low-cost connectivity. Mm-hmm. And what's beautiful about that is I can see you very easily creating 
its own separate nonprofit program to address each one of those issues. Mm-hmm. Rather, you guys realize, no, this is a holistic problem. We got to talk. We got to. We got to deal with each one of these issues. Uh, and so you've you've already hinted at all these things, but go ahead and just talk about those things in order: education, hardware, and low cost connectivity. Yeah. So there, for some, I won't say for for all folks, but for some. Um, organizations and things out there and when people talk about the quote-unquote digital divide which I have to say I always say quote-unquote because I hate that term but it's really (laughs) the most like it's the one that people are familiar with um you know like people talk about the connectivity piece a lot as though the connectivity piece is the issue and in some cases it is the issue however the majority of the, the cases, I would say it's not. Because, I mean, if you can't afford internet access, there's still access out there. Like, you can go to the public library. There's Absolutely. places to do it. That's not necessarily going to solve the problem. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely issues for sure. However, yeah, the access piece is not like you... And also, on the flip side, give someone internet access and they're going to be fine. Like, that also right. is not true. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, really good programs out there kind of address these three issues. And they kind of address them holistically. And there's a few of them that sort of do. But, you know, one of the reasons we love the Techless Home model was because... It really recognized from the get-go that these three things have to go together. Um, so the the digital literacy training. So the idea with this is not to kind of teach everyone everything that they need to know. The sure. idea is to kind of give them a safe space that they're familiar with where they can kind of wade into the water wherever level they're starting. And I mean, we've had folks who had never touched a computer before, never, um, all the way through folks who, you know, had used a computer previously at their job and they just haven't done so for years. So, like, things are a lot different. Like, touchpads didn't exist, you know, yeah. when they used a computer. Um, and for whatever reason, it's just not been a part of their life since then. So the idea for us is to help them understand sort of the relevance of some of these online tools in their daily life. And a lot of people know that they're missing something and they have an idea of like, I know that there's a better way or an easier way or I want to be on Facebook or I want to communicate with my friends and just don't know how. But for some people, it really is truly understanding the depth of the relevance. Um, the things like power school where it's not an obvious thing. And some parents, especially of younger kids, are completely unaware that that's even going to become an issue. And yeah. they're like, oh, my gosh. I, well, I and then when you this. even begin to think about the career field, I mean, I, I, I do, at this point in my life, if I were to apply for a new job, I don't know how to do that outside of the Internet. Yes. And they're on the opposite <laughs> side of that spectrum. And so that's yeah. going to severely limit possibility for you. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's so there was an old at this point, it's an old it's several years old um, statistic that, you know, 85 percent, I think, of Fortune 500 companies were requiring online applications. And, you know, it's it's higher than that now. And I mean, these are these are companies like Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Target. You know, you've got to fill out an online application. And it's like, well, you don't have to do it on the Internet. You can go in and do an application. It's like, well, even when you do that, they literally just take you to a computer and sit you down and say, fill out this application online. And some companies are starting to actually track how long that takes you to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the idea of like, okay, I can go and I can, it's going to be slow and I can hunt and peck for every single field. Like there are companies like, I think actually Walmart is the first one that sort of is being, doing this consistently. They're going to track you and they're going to see like, yeah, you might be able to 
sort of hunt and peck and get this done, but they're looking at how well you can use a computer because that's what they have. You know, our goal is really to make it so that people are confident and comfortable using the internet. And then when they leave class, they can kind of continue their learning and continue, you know, using the tools and and growing. And, you know, we found that 72% of our participants continue doing some form of online training. Yeah. Do you guys offer like 2.0 classes or something? (laughs) That's a great question. So we've actually um, just recently started a couple, a couple of things. One started and one is in the works. The one that we've started is called uh, Tech Tune-Up Tuesdays. Okay. Um, and we're actually hosting them at the Edney Building deliberately to kind of get you know more of our, our participants sort of involved um, in things there and, and to provide some other volunteer opportunities for folks who work in the Innovation District yeah. as well. So what Tech Tune-Up Tuesday is, is basically it's a combination of we do, we do a free sort of dinner for everybody. Um, and we offer uh, sort of a mini class, so we're calling it a mini course. Um, it's a 45-minute kind of class on something specific that you wouldn't have been able to really cover in detail in your class. So the first one we just did a couple weeks ago was on, uh, we called it Budgeting for Beginners. And it was basically starting from scratch, sort of showing what a budget sheet would end up looking like using sheets, you know, in, from Google and, and starting that from scratch and kind of showing this is how you build it. This is how you do the columns. This is the things you add. This is how you do the formulas. Yeah. Um, you know, all of those things where like spreadsheets is one of those things consistently people are like, even people who use a computer on a daily basis are like, I don't know how to do spreadsheets. Oh, I, hate, I hate spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> I live in spreadsheets, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, we, it was, it was really, it was well attended. People were really excited about it and they were immediately like after we got done, you know, going through it and everyone was, as was successful in building their own spreadsheet and adding in the formulas. And we had, you know, some of my, the rest of our team kind of working and answering questions. And some of our trainers came out to answer questions. They were asking, okay, how do I do, you know, how do I do the percentages and how do I do, like, how do I do the graphs? Like, I know yeah. you can make a graph. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're going to need another we're going to need another version, you know, budgeting, like intermediate budgeting yeah, and advanced yeah. budgeting. Um, but so we're, we're, we're basically, so we're doing that and then we're offering just essentially open tutoring for folks like come bring your questions, bring your yeah. Chromebook, things that you've been struggling with or you didn't get answered during class. And uh, so we're, we're really hopeful that that's going to continue growing and sort of being a thing that we can kind of offer some continuing education with Techos Home because it's a you know everything our trainers want to do I mean, we have some amazing mm-hmm. trainers it's hard to fit it into 15 hours I and mean, yeah. it's just really difficult so the other thing that we're, we're actually working on well and um, especially when you say fit it into 15 hours I mean I know from listening to some other stories I mean you guys are literally teaching people basics like how do you set up an email like yes like that's where we're starting where you're starting with this so yeah, yeah. 15 hours is going to go quick <laughs> um when, yeah. you're, when you're starting there so <clears throat> yeah no absolutely i mean some people yeah we do we start and then it, the, the just turning on the computer finding okay. using a touchpad showing them how to use a touchpad to to click and to scroll and it's it's very it can you know and it's a, such a wide range of skills too so you'll yeah. have classes where people just don't even have an email address and don't know how to fill out a form and then you'll have some folks in there that also are kind of like well it kind of I use it occasionally and I've got Gmail on my phone. A lot of times people don't remember what their password was. So it's like, well, if you don't know your password, you probably don't use it that frequently. So let's let's get back into that. Well, I so, think we've covered everything up until, uh, except for the hardware piece, as far as like your three things, yeah, education, hardware, and low-cost yeah. connectivity. Um, so the hardware... So the the reason we do the Chromebooks, the reason we do new computers is that, you know, and I, I really 
truly believe in this. And again, talking with Deb in a conversation, I wanted to hear, like, why did they decide to go with new computers? Because when they started this program in the middle schools, you know, we weren't talking about $250, $300 Chromebooks. We were talking about, like, $1,500 yeah, laptops. Yeah, very expensive, yeah. Um, and, you know, these were going home with kids. So, you know, and she just basically, and this is what I kind of felt, was like, you know, people deserve a new computer. You know, there's no reason why, you know, they should have to have essentially a secondhand refurbished computer and not to knock programs that that do that at all, because there's a need for that as well. I mean, any computer that works and is, you know, can get on the Internet is a good computer when you don't have one. However, I think that there's just there's something to be said for some for owning something new that you worked for. And also the reason that we do the $50 copay, because people have asked us about like, well, why don't you just give them the computer? Because $50 is not really, I mean, it's not a lot of income right. for our program. Um, it's certainly not ever going to support, <laughs> yeah. you know, the program. And it's like, well, you know, it, there's a pride of ownership. Even yeah. if you pay for something just a little bit, there's definitely something to be said about like, paying for something that you've earned as opposed to something that someone's just given you. Right, yeah. And we find that a lot. You know, people, some people would express concern about, well, aren't people just going to take it and pawn it or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, think about this. You pay, They paid $50. $50 for a lot of our families is hard to come by. Yeah. Um, that is a long time of saving um, for them. And, you know, then it's also 15 hours of your yeah, time. Yeah, the of their time. So it's 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 more like they're not going to do that for something that they're just then going to throw away essentially. Um, so the the Chromebook is is a really integral part of getting a device in a household because you know especially with you know kids in the school district, teachers are assigning assignments that have to be done online. Yeah. They have to be done on a computer. People are like, well, you know, kids can work on their phones and, you know, whatever. And I, I always say, well, you know, think about how annoying it is to try to write even a long email on yeah. your phone. Like, I will avoid sending an email until I can get to my computer because it's so just difficult and you've got, you know, autocorrect. And that presents some interesting things sometimes <laughs> if you don't go back and read through thoroughly. Um, and then think about now how 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 challenging that is. And then think about being like in high school and having to do a research paper, a multi-page yeah. research paper, and jumping between, you know, even using Google Docs on your phone, between that and the browser, back and forth, right. back and forth on the teeny little screen. That's not the experience that we want and need our students to have. It's really putting them at a disadvantage. You know, so having them being able to have a computer at home to just do things when they need to do them, that's yeah. that's a huge deal. Not having to go to the library, not having to stay after school every day to do their homework. So, yeah, the, the hardware goes hand in hand with the training. Um, they need that piece. And then, obviously, the connectivity. And that's sort of the one that's the most challenging to mm. kind of address. Um, even though it seems really straightforward, it is still um, a challenge. So we don't we don't pay for connectivity currently through our program which means that that is then on, you know, our families to figure out. There's also this huge challenge of understanding who has connectivity and who doesn't have connectivity. You would think that would be really straightforward. Just ask a question. Do you or do you not have internet access at home? No. The schools have experienced this. Programs nationwide experience this because it's not like the ISPs are really forthcoming with like their data about who does and doesn't okay. have connectivity. Um, so that's, you know, I think part of the reason it prompted the the government to do that with the census data to sort of start asking those questions. Oh, they asked that on the census now? They do. Okay. Yeah, they start. I think 2013 was the thir- first year that they've started huh. asking about 
internet usage, which yeah. is, it's a crazy idea, but I mean, it's, it's necessary. So what we've found is that we can ask the question about internet access literally three different ways, and we will get three <laughs> different answers to that question from the same person. And it's, it's so nuanced because, you know, a lot of people do have internet access. They have, um, you know, smartphones. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I want, it's probably not 100%, but it's very, like, 90-some percent of our participants have smartphones at any given time. Okay. Um, so, like, they know sometimes they can use those as hotspots. So, like, they consider that internet access. They can get on the internet with their phone. People borrow internet from, like, neighbors or family members. And so that, again, like, that's internet access. It's not theirs. They don't control it. It could go away, but, you know, it's internet access. Um, and then there's just all kinds of in-between. Sometimes families, again, with the, the cost issue, they'll have internet access for a time. Something will happen. They'll have to cancel it, you know, or the bill will go unpaid, and then it will get canceled on them. Um, so, like, it's it's sporadic. So I think even just understanding the extent of the problem has been a challenge for everyone. You know, our low estimate is that 35% of our participants don't have any kind of internet access when they come in. Okay. Um, and that could be up to as much as 60%. It just varies by what you consider internet access. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the, the success you guys have had in your first, I mean, effectively, just over a year of actually having classes and that kind of thing. Yeah, so since our pilot, um, which, you know, now we're, we're in our second year, so it's it's two okay. years. I mean, we had a little bit yeah, of a ramp up is when you period. Yeah. yeah, so um, so as of last, our last program session, which was the end of last year, um, we had 1,495 people. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's, it's kind of shocking when I say that number, cause I was like, we had this really audacious goal of having a little bit more than that, you know, that we just completely made up, um, based on Boston's numbers. And I was like, oh my gosh, are we going to be able to do this? And so we've came, I'm proud to say that we came so, 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 so close, you know, and that represents, I think it was about 989 families across okay. Hamilton County. So we're in our winter session right now. That'll wrap up in March. And I think we have about almost another 300 okay. to add to that number. So we will be very close to 1,800 people. So at any given time, how many different classes or cohorts do you guys have going on? That's a good question. So we do four sessions a year with the quarters, basically. Um, and we have about, it's it ranges from 20 to 25 classes around the county going okay. on. Um, yeah. so. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of trainers. You know, and I think the other thing I really didn't didn't focus on enough is that the way we're able to do this, because we have a staff of, of three people working, really, is we partner, like our partners in the community. We could not reach all of these people. If I had to go out and teach every one of these classes myself, yeah. our numbers would be so low comparatively. Sure. Um, but there's a real benefit to sort of having this kind of dispersed team essentially um, of trainers and you know the other real benefit that I think a lot of programs this is where they fall down is that you know we partner with organizations in the community where you know they're already working with the folks that really need the service so like it's a familiar face it's a place that's convenient for them because a lot of our 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 participants have transportation issues so they don't have to go far they know like you know it's it's their school or it's their church or it's a place that they already go um you know for one service or some or another and if i were to walk in to a class like we have um, pretty much east lake academy we've had a class there i think almost every session because they're community just Mm -hmm. is needs it so much and every one of their classes pretty much has been full if i were to walk in there without having ever been part of anything there which you know i'm proud to say now that i have been but at the beginning had i walked in there and just said okay i'm going to teach you how to use the internet and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that 
you know, it's it's met with some resistance. And, yeah. you know, rightfully so, in a way, this program sounds too good to be true. And, you know, it just, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be trusted in the way that the our partners who have been there are trusted. And yeah. so we recognize that completely and we value them so much. And the reason that this program works the reason that we've been successful is because of our partners so i i don't want (laughs) to i don't want to forget to say that because it really is true like we would not exist outside of our partners well so kelly you know people are listening to this and and they want to get involved they just want to learn more about tech goes home uh where can they find you guys where where can they contact you yeah yeah so so our website is uh tech goes home cha org. If you go to just techgoeshome.org, that's Boston site. It's going to be a lot okay. different. Um, <laughs> so you can get lots of info about just, you know, what's going on currently, what sites we have, sort of our mission, all of that good stuff. Um, you know, you can, there's a contact. It's just contact at techgoeshome.org uh, that goes to our whole team. And, you know, we, we are located in the Edney building. You know, we're, we're on the sixth floor in Society of Works. So you can always just stop by our office and say hi as well. Great. Thank you so much for being here, Kelly. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt, for having me. Well, thank you so much to Kelly for sharing the way Tech Goes Home Chattanooga is working to bridge the digital divide in our community. At the end there, you heard Kelly talking about the number of partners they have throughout the community, and Tech Goes Home is always looking for new trainers. So if that is something you are interested in and you want to get involved, you can do that at their website, techgoeshomecha.org. And thank you to our studio sponsor, The Lamp Post Group. You can check out their podcast, Dynamo Discussions, wherever it is you get your podcasts from. And as always, you can find this episode and all of our previous episodes at thecamphouse.com slash podcast. And from there, you can share it with a friend through email or any social media platform. Our hope here on the podcast is that you are more informed, connected and inspired by all that is happening in Chattanooga. So thank you all for being here. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you again next week.